He said, be humble, be humble, be humble, three times. You obviously feel very strongly about it. Why? What life events have happened for you to be so convicted in this one trait? That I have the exact moment that that hit me. This is Steve Vassano, a man who sells private jets to a clientele portfolio made up of celebrities, corporations, and the ultra rich. Steve recently started to document his journey on social media bringing in millions of views and even closing deals off the back of his recent virality. And while it may surprise some, it wasn't always like this. What I read was that you're washing dishes at 17, was it? Yeah, um, I was busboy, dishwasher, waiter. Actually, at 17, I was already a cook and I was a, a chef in a restaurant. We sat down to uncover who Steve really was behind what was apparent and shifted the conversation to delve deeper into his personal life. So, so what would I change? Yeah. Well, obviously, it would have been been fantastic if I had a father figure uh, to sort of guide me. Cool. Steve, um, it's not very often that we get the opportunity to have a conversation with someone that's a successful entrepreneur within the jet industry. So on behalf of myself, Zach and Perspective, thank you for taking the time out to have this conversation. So the way we tend to do things at Perspective is we hand our guests a sort of metaphorical paintbrush, and an empty canvas, if you will. And the goal is through the conversation for us to, for you to really paint a picture of who you are, your story. Um, and so I think with that being said, it's probably fitting to take it back right to your earliest memories and earliest years. What That's was a long life time ago. <laughs> <laughs> what was life like for mini Steve, both inside and outside your household? Well, um, I was pretty much brought up um, without a father in the family, so a single mom, sort of working two jobs uh, her whole life, supporting four kids. Mm-hmm. And um, we sort of went to school and we felt like it because there was nobody really home to tell us otherwise. Mm-hmm. And um, I started working actually sweeping floors in a beauty salon when I was seven years old mm-hmm. on Friday, uh, Friday afternoons and Saturdays and always have worked since then. And um, and then I got a, f- a ride with a friend's uh, older brother on an airplane one day when I was 14 years old. He said, you want to come up for a ride? I'm going for a flying lesson. I was like, wow, get in an airplane. I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's amazing. So I said, sure. I went up for a flight and um, changed my life. Yeah. And there wasn't any sort of family history within the aviation? <sighs> no. no. Look, we had a car. I oh, mean, wow. uh, it was, uh, yeah, no, my mother worked as a... Uh, a waitress and in a beauty salon. Um, And uh, we were not, you know, a well-off family by any stretch of imagination. We were okay. We had, you know, never longing for anything to uh, to survive. But um, it was definitely because of our hard work. And I think that, you know, it's always easy to look back and back your story up and say, this is how I did it and this is how it happened. But Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure her work ethic, um, you know, was pretty influential on on, on, my future. Yeah. You mentioned siblings. Um, we always tend to ask kind of the family structure because we think, you know, if you're the eldest, it comes with a certain, you know, sets of responsibilities that really shape who you are. Where do you sit in the family tree? Well, I had an older brother, but uh, unfortunately he passed away about 30 years ago and um, he was a few, three years older than me. I have a younger sister and a younger brother. They're both um, four and five years younger than me. Okay. So I basically for the last 30 years, I've been the older 
older of the siblings, but mm -hmm. um, that's not how it started. Yeah, and how do you feel that sort of role in the family shaped who you are? Because you know they say when you're the youngest, you're kind of spoiled, and when you're, you're the eldest, you take on a lot of responsibility. You know, like I said, it's it's easy to sort of, you know, go backwards and, and mm -hmm. uh, basically state how it happened or why it happened or... But I think, I don't think that ever was a feeling of being the oldest of the group. I mean, everybody sort of did what they wanted to do. We really ran. My brother and sister were only 15 months apart, so they sort of were a unit right. growing up. Yeah. And I was sort of on my own, and I worked so much, even when I was younger. And I mean, I actually, during my you know, later years in, in American high school, uh, it was, um, you know, I hardly actually even went to school because I was too busy working. So mm -hmm. that was more important to me. Mm -hmm. And um, trying to find ways to make money and make a living. What was your relationship with school? <laughs> and I can tell you one thing, I didn't go up very often. Yeah. I, and when I went, I just went to the classes that I felt like I, I liked and, and that I was getting something out of it. Some of the other ones, I just didn't feel like they were benefiting me and I just didn't bother going. And... Um, the, they call this person at the school in, in America a truant officer, the person who's supposed to make sure you oh, attend yeah, school, you know. <laughs> and, um, and he would call my mother up and say, you know, your son is just not coming to school that much. And she would basically say, what do you want me to do about that? That's your job. You make sure he gets there. And, yeah. you know, so we were sort of very just, you know, free to do what we wanted to do. It was, um, it was not a very strict upbringing in, in learning. And it was really a survival and and mm -hmm. you know figuring out how you're going to survive so it wasn't like i said it wasn't something on the streets where we were begging or anything like that it was mm -hmm. it was really um just trying to work and make money and so you could buy whatever you wanted to buy uh, in in reasonable terms you know if yeah. you remember school like you said um and out of all the subjects that you were studying what would you say stood out like this is my favorite I don't know about favorite, but yeah. I was best at math. Okay. Um, and I was worst at English. And Is it? Uh, yeah. And oh. I actually was taking some art classes and architectural drawing classes. I thought I wanted to be an architect until I started learning how to fly. And um, once I started learning how to fly, which was when I was 14, um, I was working literally three or four weeks in a restaurant as a dishwasher and busboy and things like that in order to save up enough money for every hour of flying lessons. So that really started in my head, you know, seeing a future as a pilot. That was my dream when I was in my uh, mid-teens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I think we take a lot of values that were instilled in us, within us as kids into our later lives. What would you say were the values that were instilled in you by, I'm guessing, your mother um, or just family in general that you've taken into your later life yeah I, I think really just keeps going back to hard work and and not expect anybody to give you anything mm -hmm. and um so we sort of had low expectations of uh of uh, getting things from anybody so if you wanted anything you had to go out there and and get it yourself mm -hmm. and uh and and i'm i'm talking about a a much lower level than you would think of today it wasn't like i want to go out and buy a fancy sports car. I mean, mm -hmm. this was, you know, that being said, when I was 16, I, I actually bought what they call a Benson gyrocopter, um, which is basically a seat on a uh, metal frame with a lawnmower engine behind you and a big rotor on the top, and you would go down the street, <laughs> and uh, as you picked up speeds, you had handlebars, and you would tilt this rotor on the top, and you'd basically fly. 
Oh, wow. And, uh, it was really, um, I mean, thinking back at it in those days, I'm, I was a lunatic. But um, actually, I bought it, and it was 70% put together, and I had to finish building it. And I built it, and I literally went down the street of my house. Uh, in It was in New Jersey. And I just thought I'd just take it for a little you know, ride down the street like a go-kart or something. And, and I said, what the hell? And I pushed open the, uh, the bars forward and I took off. And, okay, I was taking flying lessons already, so I wasn't, you know, completely out of whack what I was doing. But um, I got up above the trees and scared the hell out of myself. I mean, I was like, <laughs> what am I doing? I'm in this just basically like a lawn chair uh, flying around. And I landed it on the, uh, the school uh, front lawn. And then I, wow. okay, that was it. I like pushed it back up the street. I scared the hell out of myself. And, and I actually traded it for a car. Um, and that was my first airplane deal. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. I call it an airplane. Not really and an what airplane. age was this? I was uh, 17. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I'm, and, but I'm talking about small money, okay? And in those days, I mean, this helicopter or, or gyrocopter maybe was, I can't remember, two or three thousand dollars but to me in those days that was a lot, a lot of money it was a, it was a lot of money yeah. and the car i actually traded it for had a, a, a the front hood was ripped off in a I don't know, some kind of an um accident and so i had to i bought this car and actually it was an english car it was a, a tvr mm-hmm. and um and i had to get the whole car sort of electrical system fixed and the hood put on but i did that whole thing and got it all renovated and and sold that. Seems like an eventful childhood, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to picture you now as Steve growing up. How would you describe yourself? I don't know. I just said and I was always just driven to do something because I, I was trying to make money to go flying. I really, that was to me so cool. Mm. And uh, and I wasn't brought up in a in a wealthy neighborhood by, by any stretch of imagination. So to me, I thought, you know, flying in a plane and getting up. I mean, it was five miles away from New York City and we'd be flying around that whole area and it was just such a freedom. And mm-hmm. um, and I just felt, you know, uh, that this is like a future for me. It was, it, it gave me, one thing most kids, I think, unfortunately, they don't have any idea what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And even when they start university or, you know, uni or something, it, it, they don't really know what to do, which is unfortunate. And this, I was sort of lucky because I had this dream that I was really going for at an early age. So I had an objective. I had a goal I was trying to achieve. Head start. Uh, yeah, head start. Yeah. Just, just in my mind what I wanted to do. So it made me just sort of work harder to, you know, pay for flying lessons. And that that really uh, forced me into um, into this business because I just, at an early age, I decided that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. There's a lot of advice going out there now, like, not everyone has it figured out. Um, you know, people say, you know, take your time. Um, there's no rushing and making a quick decision. Um, do you find that there needs to be a balance and not kind of overly babying? Um, yeah, well, I definitely think there's a little bit overly babying of, yeah. um, <laughs> of youth today. I do feel that. I mean, I, you know, like I said, when I was younger, we were sort of very independent and you had to survive and, go for it yourself you know you were and and you got the school of hard knocks i mean you you had really failures and you would try to do things and you were you know yelled at you were scolded you were you know screamed at 
And I think uh, a lot of younger kids today are babied from the standpoint that, you know, they're, fa- they're especially in the family that's a little bit more, um, you know, well-to-do. They're, they're so patted on the back all the time. They're, wow, that's fantastic. That's great. But they're never maybe um, told off, uh, told off yeah. you know. And I think that's... <coughs> That hurts uh, uh, a kid's integrity and 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 values grow, growing up because they they won't know, yeah. you know what's yeah. what's uh, wrong or what's right, and because mm-hmm. they just think and you know, and then they get hurt when somebody really mm-hmm. yells at so them when they're older because they're like, Why are you talking this. to me that way?" You know, yeah. so you know that's that difference of being sort of brought up on the streets, if you want to call it, uh, versus you know street smart, street smart versus book smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Now, I think I've got a better picture of you now. <laughs> Good start. <laughs> but like everything, um, I think every single one of us, if we look back at our childhood especially, there might be something that we want to change. Is there something that you would want to change from your childhood? Uh, first of all, I hate this. This was the, um, uh, hold on. Uh, this was the bench and gyrocopter. Uh. I told you that. Is that the exact one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No that's way. It. Yeah, that's that's what I went up from flying. I need to put that on the screen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we put that somewhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I guess that's basically it. Oh wow! <laughs> it's a lawn chair with an engine behind it. Is really. it just a one seater? Yeah, it's one seater. Yeah, yeah. So how would you kind of go? No, on your so so this engine in the back was pushing you forward, and right? then you had the one on the top, and you had handlebars that basically change the angle of that thing the, the rotor on the top <laughs> so the rotor wasn't hooked to anything it just as you went forward it would yeah. turn right. and then that lifted you up so interesting well, <laughs> yeah. um so so what would i change yeah well obviously it would have been it'd been fantastic if i had a father figure uh to sort of guide me you know in my life as i was growing older uh, that's one thing i absolutely miss and i missed so um you know, we didn't really have a close-knit, you know, family kind of thing because my mother was always working. We were always doing what we wanted to do. And it was, um, it just wasn't now. I see these families that have been so close for their whole life and they have, you know, cousins and aunts and uncles and we really didn't have all that. So I do, I did miss that, that big family uh, togetherness. Yeah, yeah. And is that something you want to ensure, like, within your own family going forward? Because a lot of people kind of say okay there's this traumatic event that happened you know during the younger years um i'm going to make sure this doesn't happen going forward or is that more of a it's i mean it's hard to sort of do that i mean and um you know i'm divorced i didn't have any kids with my wife now um i knew the other half you know i don't have kids with her but um um she has a daughter who is i consider like my daughter yeah together for a long long time since she's very young um so I'm really, you know, part of that family right. because, you know, my brother and sister live in America and even though I'm very close to them, I don't get to see them that much. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's sort of a different kind of a, uh, a family. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, and, um, but I, I, I see everybody else's family and, and I just sit back and I, I, w- I always admire all these people who have that really close knit family because it's something really special that, you know, I just un- unfortunately didn't have. That's crazy because, um, just hearing you say that, um, I think I can relate. Um, I think, yeah, I think that relationship with family um, is very, very, like myself, I'm married. 
and uh, once now that I've been married um, and I see my wife's family and how they are um, how close they are and how like me growing up I didn't have that I was I'm very close with my father and my mother um, but it's it's not as close as I would want it to be and it as you grow up you it really starts to impact you um so i really you find yourself getting maybe the right word isn't sucked into but i mean absorbed into your wife's family more and you treat them as your and well yeah, they are your family they are your family but i mean you know they they're really um you 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 sort of long for that togetherness yeah yeah and, yeah. and uh, I, i'm sure i don't know if you feel that way or not that's how i feel no, definitely. I think that you've you've explained that in the right way. I think um, I couldn't get the words out in the right way, but <laughs> you explained it perfectly. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's deep. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I. Are you? You're not married. No, no, I'm not married yet. Um, but we we talk a lot about you know family. Okay, do you guys hear that? <laughs> um, we talk a lot about family um, in this podcast. It's actually like one of the key themes. Um, the strength of ties, making sure that we kind of strive to create a very close knit family. <clears throat> so it's um, it's good, it's fitting that you brought that up. Um, but just going back to kind of this picture that we're painting, um, so we've kind of come out of the sort of early life period. Um, now you've mentioned you've had some sort of taste with airplanes. You're 14, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had your license at the age of 17. Yeah, I sold at 16 and licensed at 17, yeah. That's the legal age you can <laughs> Is that still the legal age? Yes. So in, Amer in America or here? In America. Okay. I, I, I'm not sure what it is in the UK, but uh, in America, I that's what 16, it is. Yeah. So you're 17 years old. You've got a pilot license. You must have had a lot of attention. And when <laughs> I say attention, I mean... From the opposite gender. Yeah, well, I <laughs> definitely got out of my system before I got married. I didn't get married till I was 44. Okay. okay. So, yeah, I had a I had a good time in my early years. There's no, <laughs> there's no question about it, you know. And uh, yeah. it was uh, when I came out of um, uh, university, actually, and started working yeah. um, as a lobbyist, actually, in Capitol Hill in Washington, representing airplane manufacturers. I used to go out. I was single then, and um, very single. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, I used to use the reverse psychology. If I was in a, in a bar or something like that and I met somebody and they asked me what I did, I would tell them I was a librarian. And, uh. Uh, and I figured, okay, if I'm going to keep this person's interest for you know 15 or 20 minutes thinking that I'm a librarian and explaining how interesting it was you know, reading all these books and hearing about history. And I figured if they're still interested at that point, okay, there's somebody maybe that I can continue. Wow. But if you said, if I, I'm so the opposite of trying to press people yeah, okay. of you know i got this car i got i fly around on jets i sell jets i do this i do it's uh, yeah. i don't know it just uh, right i don't way. like that sales pitch and uh so it was sort of like a reverse kind of psychology to test out and um maybe it was test i don't know what it was at the time but thinking back uh, that's what i think now that's what i was thinking then so but uh yeah it was it was um you know, learning how to fly planes was something so unique and crazy. And, you know, I had a lot of fun, but my focus was on working and flying and yeah, and having fun. Interesting. One of the questions I wanted to ask, which I guess you've somewhat answered, was I wanted you to walk us through the first time you actually had the full control of the plane. And it was like, okay, wow, <laughs> I can do anything right now. Yeah, well, actually, the first time I had 
full control of the plane by myself and the instructor wasn't with me, I wasn't like, I could do anything right now. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what do I do now? I took off and I'm, okay, you know, we've done it so many times, but yeah. it's so different when the instructor's sitting there next to you. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Mm. It, it's really scary. And um, man, your your acuteness of detail and attention to detail and and every everything that you didn't even think, you know, every spark in your body just starts firing mm-hmm. um, because you got to pay so much attention. Uh, and today, because I don't know how it would be today, you you know, you think you take out your cell phone, take pictures, videos, because everything is all electronic computers, yeah. and it's so so much different today. Mm-hmm. It's a computer operator today. In those days, it wasn't like that. Um, and you know, we didn't ha- we didn't have cell phones at all when I was starting to learn how to fly. So it was you know, you didn't have those kind of things to to take your attention away. But it was pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Um, of Can course, imagine. you know, when I touched down after I landed the first time, I thought I was Superman. Yeah. And, but, you know, during the period I was doing it, it was, uh, it, it got me concerned. But, yeah, yeah. but after I landed, I felt so much better. And it, that kind of stuff really is what builds confidence. Course, yeah. You know, because so many people don't think they could do so many things and, and they'd be surprised when they try what you can really accomplish. So yeah. just crossing that line. No, for sure. I think we, we've also spoken about this, but just putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, um, you really get to see what you're capable of. And, and I, I, it's very rare that, you know, when you want to do something that's somewhat uncomfortable and you end up doing it, it's rare that you look back with regret. It's like, at, even if it didn't go to plan, it's like, well, at least I know now. Mm. You learn you learn more from failure than you do from exactly. success. Yeah. I mean, I know people say that's you know garbage and you know it sounds just a saying and all that kind yeah, of stuff, but but it's, but it's true. It really is true because actually, if you succeed all the time, you, you get too cocky, you get too overly confident, and maybe because you're a superstar. And but more than likely, most people, most entrepreneurs, I think, you know, have have learned from from mistakes and um you know they always say oh look at all this this guy's an overnight success that's usually pretty rare it's you yeah, know yeah. nobody really knows how many thousands of of sleepless nights it was before he had that overnight success and and that's the problem today everybody says wow look he just invented this app and he's a billionaire mm. okay well there's you know one you know point zero 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 one percent of people that that happens to and okay that it does happen sure but uh, it's it's rare. Yeah. Very. <laughs> yeah. Now, I want to share something with you. Okay. You were talking about um, aviation and obviously flying and how I think the main thing that I could take from the conversation that you were having of us is that um, flying a plane is a form of freedom. I wanted to become a pilot once upon a time. Ah, okay. But I couldn't because I was colorblind. So growing up, it was the similar sense where I always wanted to fly a plane because of that sense of freedom. Now for you, um, would you say that it was freedom or freedom and something else? I think it was, <coughs> listen, there's, oh, everybody always is trying to, uh, people say that they want to um, project an image to other people about themselves that is not necessarily better, but yes, better than it really is. And um, quite frankly, it's quite funny because nobody really cares about Mm. you. I mean, I'm not talking about your family or your close, you know, your spouses, things like that. But, you know, people say, I need to 
stretch and get a more fancier car or buy a bigger house than I really need or can afford or something. And you do because you're trying to project this image uh, to other people of you. The real fact of it is, is you're doing it for yourself and trying to make you, everybody wants to make themselves feel better about themselves. Everybody needs to get a pat on their back from themselves. And that's really the key to make yourself feel better about yourself. And I think um, uh, when I was doing that, I just, I felt like I was getting out of this, you know, the rut of the little town that I was living in and, and um, I was doing something to better my, my future. Uh, so it was a different, I think a different mindset. That was the really reason. Okay. Yes. I wanted, when I got on the airplane, I said, wow, this is so free. This is amazing. I didn't go up on that airplane ride because I thought I was going to better my life. I just did it because somebody offered me to go for a ride and then something happened when I was up there and clicked in my head. Uh, I'm sure when you, you know, when you met your wife, okay, you weren't saying, I'm looking for this person who's this high, this color <laughs> hair, this much weight. It just, you know, when, it happens, when the person yeah. comes in front of you, man, yeah. it's just something clicks in your yeah. brain and the chemistry hits. And, and the same thing with kids in school. They don't know really what they want, but some, eventually they just get exposed to something and, mm. and it clicks yeah. in their brain. And then that sort of triggers uh, like that desire. You can't describe. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's easy for me to go back and say, wow, the, I wanted the freedom in flying. Ugh, what would I know at the time? But when I got up there, I felt it. Yeah. And it, and it just clicked. So but I think it was a combination of that and, and feeling like um, it was my first step, you know, out of my old sort of life and, and, and seeing a future. That was like, I think, what really clicked. Are you still in touch with this friend that took you on this random no. flight? No. No. What, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so just on, on the point of, well, actually, before we go into that, I wanted to ask, you mentioned um, doing it for yourself because no one actually cares. But I, th I feel, you know, at some level of wealth and, you know, the fact that you can now buy these things to kind of show off, you kind of sometimes have to put your pull yourself back. Like, I don't, I probably don't need this. Did you ever go through a phase where you felt like you were buying things that you probably didn't need or were you always kind of grounded in buying things that you only needed? Listen, nowadays, you know, okay, nobody really needs anything, <laughs> okay? I mean, the real truth of it, you know, you don't need another suit, you don't need another yeah. shirt, you don't need, you know, a newer car. I mean, you can, everybody has the basic necessities. Yeah. And again, it's the same thing I just was saying. It. You're doing it to, you feel mentally in your back of your mind that you're doing better than you're, you're feeling. It's a sort of a pat on your own back. Mm -hmm. I can buy this. It's making, you know, it, it goes back to even if you think of a young kid and uh, they have Tiffany's, okay? Tiffany's has been around for so, so long. If you're familiar with the brand. It's jewelry, right? Yes. Yeah. And they have this blue branding. It's a blue box, mm -hmm. okay? And even if you're working at McDonald's and you're 15 years old, okay, you want to go out and buy your girlfriend or your friend or something, a, something from this store because it's a keychain. It's 50 pounds, okay? But it comes in this box. It comes in that bag, okay? And that makes you feel like more special because you're mm -hmm. buying that brand sort of says, I've elevated myself. And that's every designer you could think of mm -hmm. you know whether it's a louis vuitton whether it's dolce gabbana whether it's a you know, any of these kind of brands okay a lot of that's why their brands are all over the clothes and all your bags and everything because yeah. it makes people feel better that 
they're actually you know doing better and better and it, it it's a um it positions people mentally where they feel they are yeah mm. no, for sure. i don't know if that makes sense but it's no i i, yeah. I definitely understand that the, the world is really focused and and revolves around brands today brands for sure. is so important in everybody's life and in everybody's business mm -hmm. and in marketing yeah and, and that's a good point that i think we'll come back to when we kind of speak about business um, and marketing um you obviously had your license you can now fly a plane the traditional sort of roadmap from then on um is that you become a pilot a full-time pilot a commercial pilot whatever you want to call it but you didn't you took a more entrepreneurial route you mentioned that you didn't necessarily have a father figure why did you do that well, I went to I went to university and I and um, I got a, a bachelor's degree in aeronautical studies. So so it was a an aviation university that actually is it, basically it's called the Harvard of the sky. Okay, yeah. and if you have anything to do in aviation, you would know the the name of this university. It's called Embry Riddle Aeronautical University. But it's um, and at the time I went, it was which is a long long time ago. It was someplace that really a lot of um, heads of states sent their kids in some of these other sort of emerging market areas like in the Middle East and Africa and Asia that they would sort of send their kids to this place to uh, go to university and learn how to fly because they would come back from this university and then go in their military in their country mm -hmm. and have already this flight training and degree and they'd be sort of an officer in that military and they didn't have to go through that bottom-up kind of thing. So the school you were at had, I mean, it was unbelievable. And this is going back, like I said, a very long time. And kids were driving around in schools with Ferraris and, and, you know, these kind of cars and Rolls Royce. And I was like, what the hell? I mean, I've never even seen these kind of cars in those days. And I borrowed money to go to university. So I, I hocked myself up. They had student loans. Mm -hmm. And uh, I borrowed all the money for, for university took me 10 years after I graduated to pay back all the student loans. Mm -hmm. and um, uh, But while I was in school, I sort of said, man, this is interesting, but I don't know, maybe I don't want to be a pilot. And maybe, you know, I want to figure out how I could do something a little bit more more business mm -hmm. and um, because I might get a little bit bored doing the same thing all the time, you know, sitting up there and flying and everything. It's cool at the beginning, but maybe I, you know, get, might get monotonous and I wanted to challenge myself more and more. So I think, well, how do I get to be the guy who sits in the back seat of that corporate jet or that private airplane um, rather than being the guy flying it? So I sort of changed my, my mindset. How do I push the bar and what do I do? Now, again, I didn't know what I was going to do or how I was going to do it, but I definitely decided while I was in university, I don't want to become a full-time pilot. Okay. I think from... Every part of his life, mm -hmm. Steve's life. I'm just talking to your head at this point. <laughs> Every part of Steve's life, yeah. I see one thing. Mm -hmm. and that's conviction mm -hmm. in everything. Yeah. Because whatever he's made a decision on, he's just gone with it. Yeah, no, that's definitely something I've, I've also picked up on. Because it's like, as, as we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, different stages of different people's lives, people don't know what to do. And you've always, from a young age, said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to it. Um, and that also takes a lot of belief. Yeah. Yeah. You might change your mind on the way, mm -hmm. but you need to have a target. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you don't have a target, you're never going to get anywhere. 
You definitely had a target when you were washing dishes. Yeah, yeah. I knew I didn't want to wash dishes the rest of my life. Yeah. yeah. But, um, How did that work? Because what I read was that you're washing dishes at seventeen. Was it? Yeah, um, I was busboy, dishwasher, waiter. Actually, at seventeen, I was already a uh, cook and I was a, a chef in a restaurant. So, so you can cook. Uh, yeah. F- 40 years ago but <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway. I always have that argument at home I mean you know yeah. Cooking, yeah. cooking for 200 people is different than co- cooking for two people that's yeah. my that's my excuse huh? yeah nice um I wanted to ask about jets okay uh, <laughs> there's a lot of um people that say it's not worth buying a jet um a lot of people say you, s- you should probably just rent it out when you need one what what are your thoughts on that? Do you does if you can afford it and you do have a lot of businesses going business meetings, is it worth actually buying a jet or chartering? It depends how much use you need. So what I tell people is and and they don't like cars you know, go by how many miles it has on it. Airplanes go by how many hours it has on it. And and um I always tell potential clients, if you're not going to fly at least 150 or 200 hours a year, if you don't need to, then don't buy an airplane. Uh, and if you're flying more than 200 hours a year, you should buy one. And it's not because it's financially cheaper, but it just becomes a logistically easier instead of having to constantly try to find another airplane to charter, you're, you're always trying to find one. And just to give you an idea what 200 hours is, um, a lot of the airlines have these uh, frequent flyer programs and 100,000 miles is sort of that platinum level that's mm-hmm. really everybody's trying to get to. 100,000 miles is equivalent to about 200 hours, okay, just roughly. Mm-hmm. So that's how you can compare. And I, and I tell people, okay, if you're going to fly more than 200 hours, you should, you should acquire an airplane. Now, sometimes you can, you can fly 200 hours and now the airplane has so much unused time and it's sitting on the ground and then you can rent it out to third parties. And if you rent it out to third parties, you can earn some extra income, which reduces your cost cost of flying. You never get it down to zero. People are told that they could do that, but you can't. Um, But it definitely reduces the cost and it it has, you know, the more hours the airplane flies, the cheaper it costs per hour. Interesting. So it's, uh, and, and a lot of people, a third, about a third of the airplanes that are owned around the world are rented out to third parties uh, to mm-hmm. optimize the use more. Yeah. It's interesting because, as I mentioned at, right at the beginning of this conversation, it's not often that you have a conversation with someone that's even in the jet industry. It might be different for yourselves, but for us, I've never spoken to a pilot, let alone someone that's in the industry. Um, I have. Uh, yeah. I have. We might need to get one on the. Yeah, that that, that would be a great perspective. Um, but I think this whole sort of aviation industry um, and you being involved in it, you obviously mentioned not having a father figure, but did you have some sort of role model um, or some sort of person that you looked up to 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 come into this? Because for myself personally, I think. Being self-aware is really important and I'm lucky enough to have role models in the things that I want to, you know, get involved in. Was there someone that you looked at and said, I want to be like this person in 10, 15, 20 years? Mm, you know, in, in those days, 
It was so much different than they are today. Okay, there was no social media. Mm-hmm. And television basically had three channels. I mean, in the U.S. it was ABC, CBS, and NBC. I mean, it, it was, there was no choice. There was no yeah. video games. There was, you know, no cell phones. I mean, it was really, I mean, we, you'd be with friends, like, crossing tossing coins into the street and winning, mm. oh, do I get this 10 cents or not? <laughs> you know, are you paying, you know, ball, puck ball, like a hockey stick, you know? Yeah. It was, you had to do stupid things to keep busy. It just yeah. wasn't what it was today. So you never were really exposed. The only thing you were, people you were exposed to that you could possibly look up to would be an actor. Mm. Because there's really, you know, or a newscaster or something like that. You didn't really, you weren't exposed. And in school, you were just taught about history. Mm-hmm. What about sports stars? Sports cars, yeah, I loved. I always had a, a nice car. No so. sports stars. Oh, sports stars. Yeah, you know it's funny. I I've never played any sports in my life, and um, I love skiing, snow skiing, um, but obviously it's not a sport from the standpoint of doing it regularly and participating. So I never was in uh, school sports like football or baseball or any basketball or anything you like that. You look it though. Uh-huh. You look like someone's <laughs> been exercising for the last. Oh, I have been, but I haven't been doing it in oh, sports. So I, you know, oh. I do. I absolutely go to the gym frequently, ev- almost every day. Wow. Um, and because uh, health is, you know, yeah, I'm old man. I got to stop <laughs> taking care of myself. Yeah. Um, yeah, health is is very important to me, and anti aging and longevity and those kind of things. But I never really played in sports. I, again, I hate to keep saying this, but I was always working. Mm. and um th- those were my focuses and today i just think people spend a lot of time on following sports teams and and, and individual people or celebrities and things like that and um i mean it's nice if you look up to them and aspire and you want to sort of that gives you drive that's fantastic but i just you know for me i just always had a different target that i was going for working wise and then and never was to be one of those kind of people. And today, it's different, of course, because there's so many other people you can sort of uh, look up to. And, and unfortunately, the people that you should look up to are never get given the right credit, like you know, doctors or, or nurses or teachers or things like that. It, not, it's not as glamorous to look up to those people, but you know, probably it's our whole um, you know, human way of thinking of looking up to movie stars and yeah. celebrities mm-hmm. instead of the other people who are really making the uh, the wheels of life turn yeah. are not really given enough credit, unfortunately. But I've heard my father say what you've just said about a hundred times. Because I'm a big... Well, you give, you, you, you're always doing charity. You're doing aid <laughs> to small, you know, to these countries. You, you know, just think about what you're doing versus mm-hmm. somebody who's on screen. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean... It's it's a complete. They're both helping. I mean, the one on screen is entertaining people and giving people ideas and yeah. thoughts. But you know, you're doing a completely different thing, and and you don't get the credit for going out helping these people in these African countries, the, the you know starving kids or anything like that. And mm-hmm. I just think that those kind of people, you know, are just not held up on the pedestal that they should. Yeah, no, definitely right. You mentioned, um, I think one of the first videos I saw of you. Um, you, I think you were being asked something or you just happened to be in a TikTok, but you said, be humble, be humble, be humble three yeah. times. Yeah. You obviously feel very strongly about it. Why? What life events have happened for you to be so convicted in this one trait? Yeah, I have the exact moment that that hit me. And that one, this one is clear because when I first started selling jets, which was when I was 23 years old, um, 
I got a job. I talked the uh, the owner of this company to hire me for free, to because I didn't know how to sell airplanes, and and I convinced them to hire me for free, and um, and in order to do that, I had to still pay my bills. I had to pay rent and food and my car and things like that. So I got a job as a waiter mm-hmm. at nighttime, yeah. and to pay my bills, and. <clears throat> Every day, I'm sitting there on the telephone calling people, trying to sell a multi-million dollar aircraft. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there it was at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm trying to sell, and this is, you know, 40 years ago. And I was saying, you know, 3 million, 4 million, 5, 6 million dollars. I'm talking on the telephone to these people about selling this product. And then two hours later, somebody's yelling at me because I didn't refill his coffee cup. Mm. And it's sort of... really hit me in the face. I mean, it slapped me right there and said, Steve, you understand this job is a job. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sitting here serving coffee. You know, that's, that's who I am. That's my job, you know, trying to survive. And these are, I'm, I'm providing a service. I'm trying to sell an airplane. Mm -hmm. So I, I always, you know, that, that's the humbleness, I think, because I realized I got to, you know, don't act like you're on the jet because if you get that cocky, you know, that's the end. And I think that's the, you know, you don't have to be, um, you know, being humble doesn't mean you're not uh, successful. It's actually, if you have humbleness with confidence, uh, the combination of those two things, I think would give you excellence. So if you get cocky, okay, and, and, uh, and then you have, you know, well, some people are cocky because they don't have the confidence. Uh, and, but if you have really humbleness and, and confidence, that that's a, to me, it's a good combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think we haven't really gone into detail of what it is exactly you do. So yes, you sell aircrafts, but one of the questions that I had, um, and I tried to keep away from researching it because I just wanted to have it in, in person. So how does it work? Do you actually buy the jets and then sell them on? Or are you kind of the intermediary where you have this person, you have this person, you kind of connect the, the two? Or is yeah. it something in between? So we do, we do both, but um, you know, the, we occasionally we'll buy an airplane and then fix it up and then resell it on. But the majority of the time we're acting as a, an exclusive agent to represent either a buyer or a seller. Yeah. And um, when I first for most of my career, we would always represent the seller and try to get a mandate, just like you are a real estate broker. You get you, you get a mandate to sell a piece of property, and then you, know, you find the buyer or other other brokers who are representing buyers will come to you because you have that product to sell. Mm-hmm. But since we, I created the jet business and and this showroom concept, which is about eleven years ago, uh, we're now about fifty percent representing buyers and 50% running sellers, uh, representing sellers because of the, of what we do here. Uh, we really educate our clients so much that, you know, I don't really care what you buy. I want to, to educate you so much. You have the, the, um, the information and the intelligence now to decide why you want this model of an aircraft and rather than say, Oh, Steve told me I should buy this plane. That's, yeah. that's not a good reason. Yeah. So we, we've really sort of evolved mm-hmm. and have become, you know, 50, 50 on representing buyers or sellers. And, and what we do is we have um, an incredible group of uh, people here who are doing research. So we know everything that's going on in the market. So to just give you an idea of what the market is uh, from a macro set standpoint, there are 24,000 corporate jets in the world, okay? 
and about 60% of those are in the United States, which is, you know, a, mm. a big majority of them. Yeah. And, for example, in the UK, there's probably only about 400, 400 jets that are owned by uh, companies or registered here in the UK. Um, and it's about, probably about 15% of the world uh, aircraft, which is, let's say, around 3,000, 3,500, are in Europe total. And surprisingly, you know, if you look at China, which is, uh, you know, everybody thinks is everything, everybody there has jets. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're whatever, they have a 20% of the world population. Uh, and, you know, it's what a billion and a half people there. Very wealthy people, big, big companies, major, major companies. But all of China, including uh, Macau, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, there are only 430 jets in that whole area Whoa. which is equivalent to what's in the uk, UK. Mm-hmm. yeah that's what's amazing so people don't really understand you know that it's it's a very small industry yeah. and uh and so we basically specialize on sort of the upper end of the market what they call super mid-sized large cabin and ultra long range aircraft and uh, we know every airplane that's out there for sale and we know every detail about it and we know who's representing what buyers and sellers and that's our job here to have that data that information yeah. and and find the clients to yeah. hopefully um, understand that you know we're the best ones to represent their interest to go either buy or sell yeah. an airplane yeah so essentially they're the amazon of jets of jets yeah. i think it was a little bit more boutique than, yeah. than <laughs> that but i think we're you know we're up in the upper end of the uh, high end of the market and and in our showroom concept here you know i have this video wall you know because outside we have this airbus in the front window it's it's a real eye catcher everybody knows this place because why is there an airplane in a window on on park lane um but that's sort of part of the get the eye catching for the people who are in our industry to say what is in there because that that's really curious for those kind of people once you get these people in now you have to really wazzle dazzle them so you know we have you need technology and you need data mm-hmm. that's you know and so if you can have the environment but once they get in here if you don't get to keep their attention you're going to lose them in two mm-hmm. seconds so we have this technology and we built our own uh, app that takes people through a process of how you select the right aircraft model that fits your needs. And we ask a bunch of questions. You start out with about 149 different aircraft models to pick from. And you start asking questions like how much you want to spend, how many people you got to carry, how far you got to go, how old of an airplane, all this kind of stuff. And it filters out all the airplanes that don't meet those parameters. And it comes out to a few, you know, few at the bottom. And then you start comparing full-size cross-sections <coughs> and floor plans and and um, uh, wind charts and range maps and video walkthroughs. And really, in a, in a half an hour, I can make anybody a genius in this market. <laughs> I feel like I'm a genius. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then that's, you know, you're trying to build the confidence in these clients to say, yeah, you guys really know what the hell you're talking about. I want yeah, you to represent sure. us. And, that, and that's the, the goal. The, the brand concept. as well, yeah. I guess. Were you always a salesman? Well, no, I mean, listen, I don't, know what a salesman really is i mean it's uh i think uh you know i'm a chameleon you know, you're in sales you're a chameleon what do you want me to be i mean i'll, I'll be, I'll be so, <laughs> you know i mean it's you know but I, it, you have to be sincere really and and we're lucky enough i don't need to do a deal next week to pay my bills so you know there's no desperation in in and if somebody doesn't believe what we're doing or believe in what we do and how we do it 
they don't want to do business with us, then fine, don't do business with us. I mean, I, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we like to have very long-term uh, relationships, repeat customers, referral type people. And a lot of people who are my customers have become friends, and a lot of friends I have have become customers. So it, it's usually hard to do that. And, uh, you know, we're, I'm very lucky in, um, in our social circles that, you know, we're able to do that. Yeah, I hope we become the friends that become customers real <laughs> soon. Um, I'll toast to that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that, actually, so obviously you can't disclose the kind of clientele that you work with, but I did come across something that you said was, which was very interesting, which was some people end up buying jets or entering the showroom and kind of making deals that if you were to go and Google them, you wouldn't find them. Mm. And I find that quite crazy because in my mind and i could be wrong for you to have uh, some sort of substantial wealth you need to i wouldn't say you need a monopoly but you need to have a system in which a lot of capital is flowing through um on these people that you wouldn't find on google what do they tend to do well i'll tell you today it's much more the case than it used to be okay uh, because and there are a lot of people out there who don't want to go raise you know, the flag around, hey, look at me, I've made a lot of money, I'm rich. <clears throat> One reason is because they don't want governments to start yeah. wondering, okay, where did you get make money? Two, you get to be a target um, yeah. for, you know, people trying to rob you or scam you or something like that. Yeah. And three, you know, there's a saying, you know, the media, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you the more you make a big deal, you get more people who might get, jealous or resent you and they might attack you and they you know unfortunately in human um the human factor human nature really is that uh, and i've said this before a lot of people don't really want to like to see other people succeed yeah it's it's a sad kind of thing but you know they might say oh wow good for you but they all want to make themselves feel better by seeing other people not do so good and it's it's a terrible trait and you know but um but that's the way a lot of people are so you know that's why they have um all these good luck charms and and uh you know all kinds of things that people are superstitious about because they're trying to get we don't want people to think bad thoughts or wish bad things or uh those kind of things so if you you aren't not in the public eye you won't have those kind of sort of bad thoughts come at you and um um I just think that some of the people who are out there, you think in Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia, you never heard of these people at all. Yeah. And and it's and they've made a fortune of money. And there's you know there are five hundred and thirty thousand people in the world who are worth more than thirty million dollars. Okay, five hundred and thirty thousand people mm-hmm. worth more than thirty million dollars, and that definition is what they call a ultra high net worth individual yeah so all the banks or investment bankers that's the title if you're worth more than 30 million you're an ultra high net worth individual you can be worth 2 billion you can be worth 35 million you're an ultra high net worth individual and even if you have all that money it doesn't mean that you have the mindset to actually spend the money for private jet you can have somebody worth a billion and i see them all the time and they'll fly an economy or go on easy jet because mm. they just don't think you know it's it's wise to spend that money going first class or renting or buying a corporate jet but companies really need these airplanes to operate their businesses like most people need a car 
You know, you need the car to go take your kids to school, to go to work, to go shopping, to go out at night, all these kind of things. And you don't think how much does it cost to me on every trip? Is this, yeah. is, you know, I don't have my insurance and gas and my congestion charge and I have yeah. to fix it and I have my car payment and I have to pay taxes and registration tax. You don't calculate all that stuff. I need a car. I, that's, I need it to conduct my life. Yeah. And it really is the exact same thing for a corporation. That airplane is needed to go see different plants and factories and go visit customers all around the world. And, and it's, it's hard for somebody who is not in that world to understand it, but really that's the way it works. Mm -hmm. you know. You've learned a lot of hard lessons, haven't you? Through <laughs> yeah. business. And I still get them every day. <laughs> is yeah. What was the most recent one? You know, there's so many times when I, um, work on a deal for a long time and, uh, um, and at the very, very last minute, they, they changed their mind. And, it, it, you know, I got a tough skin now. This stuff doesn't usually bother me. And I can lose a big, big deal. And I, and I just have taught in my head to just, okay, I'm done, too bad. And it's a lot of money. and you just, you, It's gone, lost. But, I, I mean, I, when I was younger, this thing would, I'm not talking about a month, two months, three months, I was in depression. Like, oh my God, because you know, you got this deal and you're like, you start thinking, how am I going to spend that commission? And, <laughs> yeah. and then you start thinking, I'm going to buy my girlfriend this, or I'm going to buy a car, I'm going to put a deposit on this. You know, you, you really, um, you start thinking about it and in a, in a split second, Everything boom, can go. it's gone. Yeah. And you got to start back from zero. And it happens so often <clears throat> now, it yeah. happens so often because the more you're in the, in the business and people today, unfortunately, coming from places that were not, uh, capitalistic countries for the last, you know, hundreds of years, okay, in Europe or America, things like that, they're just not used to doing business that way. So it's not that they think they're trying to screw you or anything like that, but, you know, they're... It's they, just the norms. It's a norm, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and that's how they have to survive. And it's, you know, you, you can't expect everybody in the world to think like you do. And that's, unfortunately, that's what governments think should happen and but that's uh, and a really incorrect thing to think yeah do you always fly with private jets or no i, I i'd say it's maybe 20 25 percent of the time okay but Got it's it. sort of like um it's like working in a um, michelin star five star or whatever Michelin star restaurant is. And then when you go out to dinner, you go to McDonald's. So, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here trying to sell private jets. Yeah. And then if I have to go someplace and I got to get on easy jet, well, yeah. if that's the plane that's going where I got to go, when I got to go, I'll go. Yeah. No, no big deal. You know? I think this podcast would be incomplete without asking you about your first sale of the jet. Okay. Um, what happened? I just want to know <laughs> how you got out there. <laughs> it's like some James know. Bond. Yeah, it was, uh, my God, it was, I mean, like I said, I started selling planes. It was eight months I was doing that. And I really thought I was going to give up. I mean, this, I said, this is impossible. I, I, I can't sell a plane, man. I, I, but there ain't no way I am quitting before I sell at least one. Yeah. I mean, I had to prove to myself I could do it. And then yeah. I could say, ah. I didn't like it. Rather than not sell one and quit, then I'm a loser. Yeah. So uh, I just kept going and going and going. And lo and behold, this this guy called this time, and um, it was a, a Venezuelan. Um, he represented, he worked for a, a Venezuelan uh, billionaire. And this is when there weren't many billionaires in the world. I mean, this is yeah. really a long time ago. And um, it was a jet that 
well, at the time it was $3 million. It was, it was almost brand new. It was three months old or something. And today that's worth, I don't know, 50 million or something in, in current dollars. But, you know, we took the airplane and um, we agreed the deal. We signed everything. And the way this business works is, you know, you do an inspection and then everything is done. You fly it to where the most tax efficient places, because there's some places, cities or countries that you can't transact in or else you have to pay like a VAT kind of a tax. Yeah. And um, in America, there's, there's a few different states that you can transact in in order not to pay any kind of uh, uh, federal tax. So this was in North Carolina, a state halfway between New York and Florida. And so we met there. We signed all the documents. They uh, authorized the funds to, to be sent in escrow, and the money was changed hands. And um, then we got on the airplane, and we were delivering the airplane to Miami. Were you flying it? Uh, no, I was flying in it. Okay. No, no. And uh, so I was, I mean, I was, again, I was 20, I think I was 23. Yeah. And I had, I mean, like my best polyester suit I could find. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the back seat. I'm drinking a scotch and these two guys <laughs> sitting across Beautiful from me. Guys. And, uh, and I'm talking this kind, this far away. I mean, yeah. we're this close. It wasn't a giant jet, you know. And it sat, I think, eight people. But you not, you know, you can stand up if you sort of bend over. There's a little bathroom in the back. And this is, it's like in a, in a Viano. Okay, a little longer than, let's say, a Viano. In those days, that, and even today, that's 60% of most of the jets, not these big mm, airplanes yeah, like yeah. I have here in the <coughs> office. And now we took off, and I am just feeling, man, Steve, you did it, man. You <laughs> did it. You <laughs> sold the jet. I mean, I, and I'm thinking back of, you know, washing dishes and, you know, and hitchhiking around town, and I mean, which I did for so long. And, and, I'm, and I'm just, I'm on a high, man. I was just like, this is great, you know, and... Yeah, into the fight, we're sitting there talking with the guys, and all of a sudden, the one guy just says to me, Steve, you know, we really need to have a conversation. And I says, about what? What do you want to talk about? You know, the airplane's great, everything. No, no, we need to talk to you about, you know, our fee. I looked at me, your fee? I mean, I said, what do you mean your fee? Yeah, well, we we going to have to get our commission. I'm, I understand. I mean, I, I know I'm, like, young, and this is my first deal I ever did, and I'm mm. very wet behind the ears, but... I know much. Oh, I don't know. You never said anything about getting a fee. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we want to, you know, how much do you want? And he, they told me a number and I was, <laughs> sorry, man, I, that's about what my company made, you know, let alone me, that's my yeah. company made. And it, there's no money there for you. I said, but it's not how this works is, you know, if you want something, you're supposed to like add it on or, yeah. uh, you know, the I guy knows you're going to get this money and you, yeah. or you get paid extra by the, you know, your boss or whatever. I, I'm not paying you a fee. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, don't worry about it. Listen, we'll get it all ironed out, man. We'll, you know, talk over dinner in Venezuela. We'll get everything all settled out. And, you know, don't worry about it. Everything be fine. I said, guys, I'm not going to Venezuela, man. <laughs> I'm getting off in Miami. Yeah. The deal's closed. You signed the papers. The money was transferred. We're done. Yeah. This, this deal is finished, boys. Yeah. You know I mean? I was feeling, you know, pretty cool myself. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting there. I saw my first jet. So, well, Steve, listen, you're coming to Venezuela, and, you know, we're going to get the deal done and you're going to get us our money. And, you know, if you don't give us the money, then you are never going to be going home. And he sits, reaches into his suit jacket and he pulls out a gun. And, was I mean, that nine millimeter? It was a pistol of some kind. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't know, thinking about I, that. I, I, I mean, I was 23 <laughs> years old, man. I, I, okay. And I, 
and this is really during Scarface days. Oh. Okay? This is re- literally with the Scarface days, and we're going to Miami. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, you know the kind of garbage that goes through your head, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I, and I'm just thinking, man, this guy's going to cut me up in pieces and send, you know, a box and, you know, through the post to my mother. And, uh, you know, like, I'm dead. I, I'm, I really, I thought, man, this guy's just like this with a gun in my face. Like, was this on the plane? On the plane. So there was no security checks back then? No, no. no. And plus, this is a private jet. There's, you know, there's uh, no security checks getting on a private jet. Is that still the case? Uh, not in certain airports. If okay. it's, if it's, you know, no, most airports now in Europe, you right. have to go through a security check. Right, but right. in America, you, you just, just get on the get plane, in. get in your car, get on the plane and go. Wow. It's much, much easier. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, okay, well, I'm trying to think if he shoots me, is it going to put a hole through the plane? Are we going to crash? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't you know. What am I going to do? I'm sitting there. The guy's, and we had another 45 minutes or whatever, a half hour, 40 minutes before we were landing in Miami. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? You know, I mean, so again, I didn't, I didn't have a plan and we landed and we went into the terminal of where they, the corporate jets go into it. They call them FBOs, fixed base operators. It's like a, if you want to call it a gas station for, for corporate jets, mm-hmm. but they have a little mini terminal for passengers and waiting to get in and you know, on they get the uh, rental cars there and there's bathrooms and conference rooms. It's just like a little place where they, they, they meet. They don't go normally through the airline terminal. And uh, so the guy says, come on, let's go call your boss and get this worked out so that it can get organized by the time we get to Venezuela. We want our money. Um, I, I mean, I was really, I was shaking. I, you know, that moment of hour ago when I felt like the king was, was so far away in my head now, it took the whole high out of me because I, I, you know, I was feeling so great and proud. I'm like, what the hell did I get myself into? What is this? is summer jets? I mean, I, you know. And um, so we went inside the terminal. The guy's following me in with the gun in his in his pocket, and uh, went into the phone booth because there's no mobile phones in those days. You have to go and put your money in the in the machine. So I go put the coin in, and I'm calling my boss up. And as I was doing that, the lady behind the the counter, the till, the register, whatever you want to call it, she she called the guy and said, "Excuse me, sir, I need your credit card for the fuel on the jet." And literally, she must have, you know, maybe was as far as, you know, he is. And and, uh, and so the guy turned around to go give her the credit card. That's when and, you... And as soon as he got there, man, I dropped the phone and I ran out this door. And there was taxis out there and, you know, the, that, the other side of the airport. And uh, I j- jumped in the taxi. I like, ducked down in the back seat. They, I was saying, hurry, I got a flight. And this is at Miami International <laughs> Airport. Yeah. I, said, I got a flight. Really? Go, 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 go. I'll give you a hundred bucks. Go. You know, and the guy takes off and I ducking down in the back seat and the guy comes running out. I mean, just really, it was like the movies. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was expecting the guy to go shooting me, but I, you know, who knows what I was, but yeah. no, he just came running out and he, you saw him stand there like sort of a little bit exhausted and pissed off. <laughs> and, uh, and the taxi took off and he's looking at me a little bit weird. Like, what did I just steal or something like yeah. that? You know, I said, Oh man, thanks a lot. I said, I got to catch this flight. Hurry. You know, and he goes around to the airline side, which is the other side of the airport. And uh, of course, the first thing I did is call my office and said, hey, is the deal finished? Is everything closed? The money's in? Yeah, yeah, we're all done. It's closed. Congratulations. It's your first deal. I'm like, okay, great. I hang up the phone and now I'm <laughs> running around in, in the airport hiding behind these. They had these gigantic yeah. um, concrete columns in, in, in the airport in those days. And uh, I was hiding behind these things. Wait, this guy's coming after me, man. He's going to be killing. I, I, I definitely knew yeah. this guy's a drug lord. He's going to kill me. And they did have nothing to do with drugs. But, you know, those things yeah, go yeah, through yeah. your head. And, um, 
And then I, I went and found the flight, and there was no metal detectors and that kind of stuff. I had my boarding pass from when I went before I left. And, uh, and I went, and I was standing by the gate and hiding behind this columns i'm looking down the you know the hallway waiting for these guys to come and they started boarding the plane i get on the plane i'm looking at that door man i'm like oh he's gonna come he's gonna come my jacket my briefcase everything was on the private jet but i didn't care i didn't need a passport because it's all domestic in the u.s uh, so you know there was just some garbage in there that I, you know nothing worth my life and um and they closed that airplane door and i was like oh man i can't believe i i i got out of that Anyway, I got back to uh, Washington, D.C., where I was living, man, and that whole time flying back was, you know, two-and-a-half-hour flight. I, I was really, I was shivering. I, I thought, my God, this, I was going to die. I mean, I thought the guy was going to shoot me, and then now i got to realize he's going to come after me. This is not, you know. doesn't stop there. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't stop there. You know, what am I going to do? So I get back to Washington, and, uh, you know, the next morning I get into my office, and, of course, you know, I, you should have seen me, man. This guy, man, he tried to put a gun to my head. I'm like, <laughs> oh, if I need to go to hell, I mean, I didn't yeah. man, get out of here. I'm not paying you nothing, man. Go to hell. I, mean, I was like, you know, big shot. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But every single morning, man, and every day, I left the office. I got into that car, man. And I went to turn the key, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. this is the last time I'm gonna turn this key, man. I'm gonna get blown up. I, I really, I, you know, all the stuff you see in the movies. I really thought it was gonna happen. Crazy. I thought the guy was gonna shoot me right in my head when I pulled up to my car or walked into my car. And it was really, it was a few weeks or a month. I, I, I just was really scared, but I didn't want to say anything to my office you know, that I was getting yeah, really, because yeah. I, you know, I was trying to put on a happy, smiley face, yeah. but man, it scared wow. the hell out of me. I never heard back from him. And, Thank God. and like, that was like the first deal I ever did. And I'm like, what the hell I'm still doing here? I have <laughs> no idea. Like, you think I would have scared the hell out of me, but I figured, wow, that was pretty cool. Wow. Now that I'm alive, you know, and I got paid my first check. I was like, yeah. okay, this <laughs> is pretty cool. So, yeah. Quick question: How are you doing for time? Are you do you have to shoot off? Um, let's see. I don't know. I haven't checked my messages, but uh, you can cut this part out. How much longer do you want? How much longer can you give? Oh. Um, let's see. You know what they say: mm. Do it and then ask for forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this guy, I'm just, I'm, I'm because I just showed it a jet now. Um, at at uh, the airport, had one guy fly in on his jet that I actually sold him five years ago, and um, and I had a, another jet come in to show it to him. Now the guy who flew his plane here to show this guy's like, "Well, so Steve, what happened?" And you know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, whenever uh, you're co you're comfortable, uh, however much time, it's completely we'll keep fine. Keep going. Let's keep going. I'll just you know, just let us uh, know. Um, when it's time to shut up <laughs> and let you go. No problem. I mean, I, I hope I'm not boring you. No, 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 no. honestly, Definitely I was going to say one of the main I'm things shook. I was going to say, yeah, one of the main things I was going to say after is um, I think you're a great storyteller. Yeah. Like <laughs> every single detail, I felt like I was there. I feel like I'm ducking with you <laughs> and just the whole, <laughs> the whole situation. Um, I felt like I just lived. Um, Still shaking. Yeah, it's uh, genuinely, genuinely crazy. Um, it's easy. It's easy to tell a story when it really is true. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And you can tell that. So hundred percent. Um, but one of the few things that I think um, we were um, really, really interested in was, firstly, obviously, I think, especially through this conversation that we've had right now, um, I definitely see you as a role model in terms of where I want to be. 
Um, Thank you. Do you consider yourself a role model? No, not at all. Um, it's humble, funny. Humble, we're not, uh, no, no, <laughs> seriously. I, I really, and uh, I, um, I'm going crazy with all the social media that's gone on the last you know months since we started some of these different social media uh, platforms. I'm shocked that I'm getting, you know, a, a number of young people asking me, you know, how do I get in that business? You know, can I have a job with your company? I, I mean, I'm really, I'm so, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear it because I'm, I'm glad I'm waking up some of these people's sort of minds that this is something maybe is interesting for them to do. Unfortunately, I can't take all these people in, into my office here to work, but um, we do do internships with uh, people and every year, but it's now I'm already, you know, sold out i mean i'm 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 full for the next you know this this summer and um but it really it really makes me feel good that you know these younger people are see it as um an interesting kind of business and 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 more importantly is you know because i'm so old i feel like wow i'm i'm still staying a little bit relevant in in today's <laughs> world because that you know yeah. you know there's another saying that they say you know don't die before your death mm-hmm. and um you know, and if you think about it, what that means is, you know, you don't, you, you might be alive, but you might be, you know, physically dead, or your mind's dead. If you if you're not still driven, you could be sitting on a rocking chair, you know, and living living life out, but you're not living life. And um, and this is what's really so cool to me is that you know this younger generation is sort of in seeing what we do here, and they think it's cool, and and um, that to me is it really gives me a a great you know feeling that I'm. I'm actually hitting uh, a chord with some of these younger kids. It's that's that's really something that I'm I'm enjoying. Do you get any clients from? Have you got any clients from social media? Like yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've, we've sold. Um, oh, you've done. We've done, done a deal off of uh, Instagram. Uh, we've. Um, <laughs> uh, someone just DM'd him. Yep, I want that jet. Done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean one, my guys here. <clears throat> um, I'm sorry. I've hired. Um, some new younger guys here in the last year or so, and they're really pushing the boundaries, um, you know, pushing me to sort of, to uh, open my eyes. Uh, don't think of everything you've done is the only way to do it. And and they're right. And so uh, we've had a guy walk in the door here and say, you know, I saw you guys on TikTok yesterday and I'm looking to buy this jet. I made this offer four days ago. I don't know if it's going to succeed, but, you know, what do you think? And he showed us the offer and we told him, you know, you made a mistake. You should have done this, this, and this. And then he right away said, listen, I'll tell you what. You know, I'm going to pay you this much if you help me buy this airplane. But if it doesn't go through, I want to sign a contract with you to go out and buy, you know, go up and find me another one of these jets. And talking about something in a $25 million area, okay, it's not, you know, and the guy saw us on, saw me on TikTok. Mm-hmm. So, again, it slapped me in the face and woke up and said, wow, this is this, this is works. where the world's yeah. going. And, and now, all really, in the last month, all my friends, you know, I tell them, listen, when when your kids tell you, you know, you really don't know what's going on, dad or mom. Okay. And you're like, shut up. I've been around for all these years. <laughs> and he says, you know what? They're kind of right. Okay. Yeah. And you know, you really, you know, we can't think the way we've always thought before the world's evolving and it's changing and it's changing very, very quick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, you know, when you're young, you really can have a real chance to succeed quicker and without all of the things that were required to have, you know, 30 years, 40 years ago. And, you know, you can start your own website from home, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in the middle of nowhere, in, you know, Mongolia, in the middle of some small town in India. You, you could sit there and design 
your own website and try to sell some product and buy and sell. You know, you could do anything today, technology. Yeah. So the opportunities for the younger generation to succeed are much, much uh, uh, um, vibrant and, and, and um, uh, available than there was for the youth of 30, 40 years ago. Can I ask you a personal question? When you're about to hire somebody, what do you look for? Spirit, passion, drive, uh, you know, and, and commitment in their, you know, you could see, you know, in their body language, in their eyes, in their way they're talking, what they're, um, what they're really about. Mm -hmm. And to tell you the truth, a CV is really not going to make you, make me hire anybody. Um, because first of all, nobody really tells the truth on a CV. <laughs> okay. And they they always, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. really, I mean, you know, you, and they're telling, Oh wow, I work for this multi-billion dollar company and, you know, in 27 countries and there's 12,000 people. Like who cares, man? What did you do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and, they, and you know, there's always, you know, it's been written and rewritten and written and five people have read it and changed to say it this way and that way and all this kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is, you know, I don't care what you did. What can you do for me going forward? And, and if you don't have really the passion to really work in that industry and that business, then I don't care what your experience level is and um, I don't care what school you went to actually. Yeah. What advice do you have for someone that wants to one day own a private jet? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out myself. <laughs> <laughs> How many have you got? I don't have any now. I've, I, I, we, I've had, but I've you know, bought and sold them. You know, so, um, and, uh, uh, you know, but it's, yeah, when I finish, I want to just have my plane and ride off into the sunset. But then, <laughs> but the problem is I'm never going to finish that. So, that, you know, that's I, good. I, I'd be... You can't see an endpoint. You know what? I'll tell you, when the first COVID lockdown happened, okay, and really, really locked down, okay, when everybody thought the end of the world was here, those first two, three weeks, four weeks, whatever like that, you couldn't go out, you couldn't go be with people, you know, and I'm like, is this what retirement's about? <laughs> I mean, this is terrible. Yeah. Not having anything to do and not, you know, being able to go out and have meetings and talk to people in business and I was oh, this is terrible, man. It was the worst, worst feeling yeah, in my yeah. life of yeah. not being able to be active and do things. And, and, and I, that turned me off to, I mean, not that I was really ever thinking of retiring, but that really yeah, shut me off. Point. And um, no, I'll never retire. I, I'm going to work differently for sure as I'm getting older and older. I want to work, you know, more. I don't want to be in an office all the time. I want to be traveling more and work from the road and things like that. Uh, but there's no question I'm, I will work to the last day. Yeah. And I think COVID without going into too much detail, um, how would you say in maybe in one sentence it impacted your business rather than you as a person? Well, work ethic mm -hmm. of people have really deteriorated significantly since, since COVID and these people who want to work from home, um, want to work, you know, four <laughs> days, four days a week, three days four a week. week. And, and, you know, I, you know, everybody's complaining today. Interest rates are going up. Gas prices are so high. I can't afford to pay the mortgage. I can't pay the, you know, the heating in my house. Um, by the way, can I work four days a week? 
you know, excuse me. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. When I was a kid, man, when you can't pay your bills, you get a second job. Yeah. You know, you work in 70 hours a week. You don't work out 20, mm-hmm. you know, it, and, and I think COVID had really done the society an injustice by, by reducing the amount of drive uh, to work and yeah. to produce and to, I, I don't know. I just, I know, you know, I'm, I think of this, you know, work, uh, home balance is uh, an oxymoron. You, you can't have a balance. If you want to succeed, Go you know, ahead. in business or financially or something like that, you can't have a balance in home and work. You have to be driven. You have to work, man. And it's, it's what it is. Yeah. If you if you want to have that balance or you want to have more of a of a home life, well, it's kind of much more difficult time succeeding because all those people who you're competing with are are really seriously working harder and how are you going to possibly compete with them? Yeah. Two things. What does success look like for you? And where do you see the jet business going in the next 15 to 20 years? Well, success to me is really at home. Um, it sounds really stupid corny but uh, you know if you really are happy at home you know with your spouse your partner or whatever um man it, it is 90 percent of of your mindset when you go to work and if you don't have to worry about that person if you have that trust and that loyalty and that respect you know for your partner and that that part of your life is solid mm-hmm. man that to me that is success yeah um and uh yeah, sure, you have to have financial being comfort. You pay your bills and things like that. But then it's just a, you know, it's a, a level of measurement, how much. But really that, that people that don't live with their partners happily and they, they begrudgingly stay with somebody, mm. that is not a successful life. Well, I think that's a, a very good way to put it. Um, we tend to close off the podcast with some sort of quick fire questions um but i wanted to ask a question before we did that um but i think that question's just left my mind <laughs> right now <laughs> um ah yes before we go to the games we asked you at the beginning how would people describe you as a child or how would you kind of describe yourself as a child steve of today the people that you work with, your family, the you know employees. What's the common theme that you think that they would describe you as? Well, compared to when I was a child, I like to, you know, they have that saying that you know some kids never grow up. I like to sort of consider myself one of those. Um, but I, I, I think my just my work ethic mm-hmm. is is pretty strong, and um, you know, no matter I can. Like yesterday, I mean, I went to Dubai uh, Monday just for the day and um, and then got back on the plane at 2 in the morning and landed here at 7 in London. I was back in the office at 8.30 and did the full day. Like, not any, didn't even blink. I mean, it was not even a thought in my mind. Yeah. And the guys were like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, it's, uh, I just, I don't know, it's, it's part of my passion. I love doing what I do. And that's the other thing. If you don't love what you do, so don't, you say don't do it. Would but they say you're driven? Yeah, driven yeah. is a. Yeah, I think okay. a, driven and and committed. I'm listen. I'm. I think I'm one of the most loyal pr- people that uh, 
you know, I know, but I demand the loyalty back from the people that work with me. And, um, yeah. and, uh, you know, and that's it driven loyalty. Uh, that's, I think those are important, yeah. um, human traits. Amazing. What does the future look like? <laughs> yeah. I hate to keep repeating somebody else's saying, but, uh, Peter Diamantis, uh, great guy his his saying is you know if you want to predict the future create it so uh you know you don't let future happen mm. basically create it for yourself and uh and if you and if you're not trying to to answer your question uh if you're not trying to disrupt your own business somebody else will so you know my my question to myself always is how can i change the business I have here and uh, you know before somebody else comes up with a better idea so m my future is, is how do I take this business to another level not necessarily just by selling more airplanes but how do I do that I mean how, what method what what distribution uh, network and that's my sort of mindset that I'm working on now yeah. we do two things at the end yeah so usually we do something but I don't think we'll do that today yeah there is something that we do. Which camera is it that's on, Steve? This right one right on, here, right. yeah? Usually, for every guest, we say to look at the camera oh, and right. give one advice to the people that are listening right now. Or question. Or question. Or question. Wow. I mean... Huh? Something to trigger the thoughts. To get really uh, people pondering or any advice you want to... I mean, people really... And I ask, you know, anybody who's come to work for me, but the, the real thing is if you had a really a clean slate, a white piece of paper in front of you, and you dream, really, in five years from today, what would you want to really, really be doing in your life? Do you want to be you know, married? Do you want to be with a different person? Do you want to have a, a different career? Do you want to be a vice president of, of this dream company? Do you want to have your own company? You have to really, really... Write down on a piece of paper, what should that CV say in five years from now? What is that top latest job that I'm doing, that career? If you don't have that spot, that target to really aim for, you're just in the wind like a flag. You're just flopping around there, and you will never accomplish anything. Put the line in the sand, draw where you want to be, and now you have a target to get to. You know, we said advice and question. He did the both <laughs> at once. That was sensational. Steve, yeah. thank you so, so much. Thank Honestly, um, I was nervous coming into this because I've never had the conversation with anybody outside of my network to this level. Um, but I think you've done us justice. You've done them justice. And I've genuinely really enjoyed this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. I have. Yeah, very much so. Thanks so thank much. Thank you so uh, much. Thank you. Appreciate it. And Anytime. Uh, Till next time, guys. One of the cameras, which camera is it? That one, that one. Take care of yourself, spend time with your family, and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace. Ciao. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so you much, Steve. Steve. Honestly.